This is a sex pot comedy production. Good morning. Valentine's Day is over and Lauren and I are salty as hell. We did not record last week, clearly. We got thwarted by the weather and uh, feelings. Which means we are not living up to our promise of stuffing our faces with expired, somewhat expired Valentine candy while we record this episode. I went down the the back hall of my Safeway looking for expired Valentine's Day candy. Uh, And it's shady back there. Like there's one tall bin Full of everything in the store that's on sale, and it's mainly like week old baked goods. I'm sure I'm can't that can't be legal, can it? It's always stacks of just random items from every section of the store. <laughs> You're like these sponges have disinfectant <laughs> built in, and they're right next to the Linder truffles, as well as these vitamins. Seventy five percent off in two thousand five. Two thousand five is a good decade for niacin or whatever you get. <laughs> Well, hello. Welcome to our uh, post-Valentine's Day episode of Required Readcast. I'm Jessica Austin. And I'm Lauren Ballman. And we are talking about Romeo and Juliet today. Ah, yes. A play script this time. Oh, man. We were required to read so much stuff when we were kids. Books, poems, plays. (laughs) Stuff. I read this one pretty young, I feel like. I know I read this, like, in middle school, late, mid to late middle school. Because I remember, what is it with permission slips? I remember yet again having to get a permission slip to watch the movie because you see her boob for like half a second and everyone loses their minds. I feel pretty uh, pretty sure that I saw this on a Blu-ray disc at some point. <laughs> the original movie? The original, the Zeffirelli one. I'm wow. pretty sure they pulled that into a Blu-ray into one of my classrooms. Um, no, hold on. I'm older than that. They pulled that in on a laser disc. Uh, we definitely have a Zeffirelli on a laser disc. Laser disc. But I recall, I'm pretty sure we fast forwarded through the boob. Because uh, I didn't <laughs> Just, have to get permission. Hey, look over there. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's creating a distraction. Uh, so I don't think I ever saw that boob when I was a teenager. I didn't oh, I was adult to see Juliet boob. Um, you guys, Romeo and Juliet was written by William Shakespeare. And the official. The bard. <laughs> the bard of Avon. Uh Oh, I have so many thoughts on Shakespeare, and they're going to blow wide open over the next hour. Um, fair warning. As Jess said, we are salty as hell and drinking a lot of coffee, so. We're caffeinated, we're pissed, and we want to talk about this story. You may hear some perspective on Romeo and Juliet that you never thought you'd hear. So, the E-Notes gives the official summary as, Two star-crossed lovers fall hopelessly in love despite the heated feud between their families, the Montagues and the Capulets. Mm. I summarize. Teenagers with knives make bad decisions. <laughs> so it's the same as the outsiders. Um, <laughs> I think mine would be uh, <clears throat> adults aid in a bed forbidden teenage love, then act shocked when it goes horribly wrong. <laughs> adults in this are the worst. They really are, and that was my new take, this this read. What I love about this play is that Shakespeare tells us everything that's going to happen and spoils us in the prologue. Immediately. Like, if if you're paying attention, you could just get up and leave uh-huh. right after the prologue because he just told you the whole plot. You're like, oh, good story. Thanks, buddy. I'm going to go to the bar now. Which is, I guess, I mean, you're probably more polit- prolific with Shakespeare scripts than I am. Yeah. Is that pretty typical in his prologues? No. No. Because I'm thinking, like, you know, you have the prologue for Henry V, Henry V, uh, Ophir, Muse of Fire. 
but it doesn't tell you what's going to happen. It kind of moves our action around. But this one just, bam, lays out the plot, spoils the ending. Right. Um, so Lauren's going to read the prologue for us. Give us a dramatic reading. <coughs> and I'm going to stop us when I want to talk about something. All right. Two households, both alike in dignity, in fair Verona where we lay our scene. Okay, stop. <laughs> <laughs> I get this. Two, both two households, both alike in dignity. Not true. Not true. I think uh, for me the Capulets seem richer than the Montagues. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like it always seemed to me that the Capulets are higher status and the Montagues are kind of these ragamuffins who run about town. Yep. Continue. From ancient grudge break to new mutiny, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. All right, I want to compliment the civil blood and civil hands, because that (laughs) is awesome. Uh, But, you know, we never know about this ancient grudge. It's old. They're fighting. Um, That's a fair point. We never know why they've just been fighting. Do you think they know why anymore? I don't think they know anymore either. Like, we're Capulets and Montagues. We fight. Mm -hmm, That's what we do. All right, go on. From forth the fatal loins. Gross. <laughs> loins. <laughs> of these two foes, a pair of star-crossed lovers take their life. Okay, I just like that. Uh, <laughs> from forth the fatal loins of these two foes, which makes us think like it's, the foes are the Lord, Lord Montague and Lord Capulet. But their loins, I don't think, <laughs> sprouted forth Romeo and Juliet. And I think Lady Capulet, salty bitch that she is, Sorry. would be pissed if her whole thing in the prologue, she's like, my legacy is that my loins gave forth Juliet. Wait, what did my loins do? My loins did what? <laughs> Say what? My loins faked her own suicide. Poor choice. More prologue. <laughs> Whose misadventured piteous overthrows doth with their death bury their parents' strife. I don't know what some of those words mean. <laughs> The fearful passage of their death-marked love and the continuance of their parents' rage. Okay, we know what that means. Which, by their children's end, that means they die, not could remove, is now the two hours traffic of our stage. Okay, there's the biggest lie in the whole play. Two hours? Bullshit. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. And have you seen a high school production? It's like four and We're a half. We're talking a day. You're there all day. <laughs> Each act is like three hours because nobody can find their wooden swords. <laughs> no, but seriously, though, a real production of Romeo and Juliet I have never seen come in under two and a half hours. No, not one that's uh, unabridged. Mm-mm. And just for the <clears throat> listeners' knowledge, they need to know that I spent two and a half years of my life touring a 45-minute production of Romeo and Juliet to high school parking lots. So I have all the feelings, and I know that a 45-minute production of that is, uh, is not quite accurate. A lot, of, a lot of fast stabbing is what I would envision. Stab, stab, stab. <laughs> yell, yell, yell. Die. Dead, dead, dead. Final lines. Okay, go. The witch, if you with patient ears attend, what here shall miss, our toil shall strive to mend. I'm sorry, what? Shakespeare, here's all the things that happened, but if I forgot to tell you something, don't worry, I'll tell you again in the next two hours that are really three hours. It's, uh, so he opens up with a prologue, and then we immediately jump into a scene of the stupidest puns ever. It just pun city. Puns, puns, puns. Uh, Gregory, we, sh- we shall not carry coals, no, for then we shall be colliers. <laughs> And this is what they give for high schoolers. So I read this book in high school, and I actually very much remember it, because I didn't have to get a permission slip, because they skipped the boob. <laughs> Good. Um, but it was my freshman year, 
And uh, I was at Fairview High School, and I had just transferred in. Uh, and I remember being like, oh, I used to do drama when I was a kid. I can do this. And then the class was so boring. Because I think that there's nothing worse than a middle-aged high school English teacher trying to explain to you why these are dirty jokes. <laughs> I remember she's like, oh, no. When they say prick of noon, it's body. And I was like, oh, Mrs. Zexer, I don't want to know that. Oh, no. Like, I never thought of it that oh, way. She was explaining all the dirty jokes, oh, which then no, just... That's... No. Oh, it's like your parents talking to you about sex, except <laughs> it's... <laughs> high school English teacher trying to tell you dick jokes and you're like I am so uncomfortable really right now. old timey dick jokes old timey and she was just like you know why that's funny and we're like I don't I know. oh yeah but Shakespeare sucks when you read it and you have to talk about symbolism to your teacher and do group projects yeah so we're apologizing to students everywhere for having this be on a required reading list it, it, yeah it should be seen not read but what exactly. do you think when you read it because I hated it and thought it was stupid. Um, I did too, because I also... I can't really remember much about in middle school. But then in high school, I was getting really into... more, Even more into theater. Mm -hmm. And I was a big part of that in high school. And so that was the age when every girl wanted to be Juliet. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was one of the only people who was like... This part's stupid. I don't want to play this part. Why do you all want to play this part? And having to do the balcony scene and acting class, and you're just like, ugh. So I remember getting sick of it really quickly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, yeah, the biggest thing that sticks out to me in that first reading was the permission slip. I don't know why. Because boobs. Because reasons of boobs. Right. But I don't really remember my first take on it in middle school. It feels so long ago now, probably. I think I've my brain has been tainted with all the various productions I've seen and everything that I can't really remember my first impression when I very first read it. Well, I I um, remember when I was a kid in elementary school, there was a girl, I don't remember her name, she was so tiny, and she <laughs> loved theater. Like, no, that's tiny all, girl. tiny girl who loved theater, was like second or third grader, and that's all she would talk about. And I remember she would carry a copy of Romeo and Juliet around with her at lunch, just to, like, show off how much she knew about things. Um, and I was like, oh, that's really pretentious. So <laughs> the first thought was that pretentious people liked Shakespeare. And that hasn't been disproved. Right. Well, and, and honestly, I, I'm going to, it's confession time. Um, this is something that I've always wondered if it makes me a bad theater person. Is I, yes, I, in, okay. <laughs> I enjoy Shakespeare. I like Shakespeare. I enjoy reading Shakespeare. I enjoy seeing interesting takes on Shakespeare. But I've never been diehard Shakespeare person. And I feel like in high school and then, you know, early college, that was something that kind of differentiated. <laughs> At least where I was, it, when you were in theater, it was like the super Shakespeare people versus the people who are meh on Shakespeare. I don't know if mm -hmm. you ever found that. But I I I don't know why. I I and I do. I still enjoy reading him, but he's never I've never been a, as big of a fanatic over him as some people get. Mhm. Mm if well, that makes sense. Well, yeah, I get um 
I've come full circle. Like I've gone through so many phases in Shakespeare because until very recently, my job title was Shakespeare coordinator for an education department at a big regional theater. And so I have been like Shakespeare in my face off for the last five years or so. Exactly. And I'm over here like, yeah, he's all right. But I, I have the same thing because I think I liked it. I didn't like it when I was in high school, of course, because we were forced to read it. And then my senior True. year, I took um, my my friend Jennifer. I wasn't confusing Jessica, Jessica, Jennifer, Jennifer, um, who would later be my roommate in college. Nice. She was like, hey, I'm your ride to school. And if you want me to drive your ass, then you need to come take first period Shakespeare with me. And I was like, fine, fine. But the difference with this was the theater teacher taught it. And so we were oh. always getting up and acting things out. We were doing the Scottish play. We did Much Ado About Nothing. So we were always on our feet, and she was explaining the acting motivation behind it. And you're like, oh, suddenly that's cool. I'm interested in that. So senior year, I suddenly liked Shakespeare again. And then I liked it in college because I was like, oh, this is smart. It's like a puzzle. Uh, you have to figure out the meanings. And I always tried to, because I wasn't a talented student in, high, in college, so I was trying to be the smart actor. I was garbage. I doubt that's true. It's very true. <laughs> I'll show you videos. Uh, but so I kind of glommed onto that. And then as I became older, I was like, oh, I'm so tired of this just because you see so many bad productions of things. Right. And now I've come back around going, okay, the text is a place you start from. You figure shit out. You kind of go through the mystery, figure out what these words mean, figure out ways to justify the meanings. And that's why I, at the moment, hate Shakespeare and love him because he's so adaptable to the director and the performer. You can make choices about... That's, yes, I do appreciate that. And also, it's funny, what I do usually take to, and back to what we were talking about, which is Romeo and Juliet, mm -hmm. I promise, um, I would be happy with happier with Romeo and Juliet if we just got rid of Romeo and Juliet and it was just like all the fight scenes. And mm -hmm. <laughs> like, all puns aside, I'm much in more into like the quick witty wordplay that he has in some of the fight scenes as opposed to the more romantic flowery Shakespearean language that I, you know, I think I take to that a little bit more. Uh, I'm going to venture to say, I know we joked about it on my summary, but really though, if you take out Juliet, isn't this the outsiders? It, it, because yes. he, because uh, I mean, there's a few more debts, but like it's kind of the same story. Are we just reading the same story over and over? Is that what this podcast is? It might be. It might be my punishment for not returning the Outsiders. That's still overdue. Ruh oh, <laughs> Sorry, library. Sorry, library. Although, I know the Arapaho Library just sent me an email saying they are no longer charging fines. Oh, that's nice. I'm like, library, that's the only clout you had over people. That's true. You got to, like, lard it over. Like, you owe me 25 cents I know. per week. You that owed us a dollar since 1983. Um, anyway. Uh, so... That's part of my beef with this play, I think, is I would be totally fine eliminating mm -hmm. <laughs> the main romance, which would then not make it Romeo and Juliet anymore. Yeah. Well, the story is, you know, Shakespeare's retelling another story. I think they were called Romeo and Juliet. Um, but he beefed it up, added Mercutio, added these interesting things. Yeah. And I think I'm, I'm much more drawn to characters like Mercutio or Tybalt, mm -hmm. which you got to play. So. I did. I did. Um, a million times. A mi I played the tiniest Tybalt 8,000 times. I was so <laughs> angry, and I yelled so you much. You got murdered so many times. I did. <laughs> um, okay, so those are our general impressions. Who's your favorite character? I think I really do. It's. I think it really is a pretty even split between Mercutio and Tybalt. Mm -hmm. There's things I enjoy about both of them very much. 
Um, and I always find it interesting, the, like, secondhand opinions. Like, the the best friend of the lead or the, or in this, you know, the cousin of Juliet mm-hmm. or the, I, um, I'm interested in their stories and their perspectives. And I feel like both of them, I enjoy their journeys throughout the play, except the murder of both of them. And I feel like that scene is so pivotal. Like, the, um, you know, the Romeo, Tibble, Mercutio fight, death scene mm-hmm. is one of my favorite scenes in the play. Well, I think it's so great because it it goes badly so quickly. Um, you know, yes. And Romeo's really trying. Mm-hmm. That's a moment where he's really trying. He's just like, hey, I just, I just married your cousin who I met less than 24 hours ago. So, like, I'm going to try to keep the peace here. And Tibble is just not having it mm-hmm. and not listening. And then poor Mercutio falls in the line of fire. Yeah, but he puts himself in there. That's true. You know, he should stop. He should. He jabs. He jabs. He talks he too fucking much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> line after line after line. That Queen Mab story. It's just forever. Um, Mercutio and Tibble are great. Who's I, yours? I like Lady Capulet. Oh, if I, if I were to do this take. play now, I would want to play her. Yeah, and just in the idea that. You know, because she says to Juliet, she was like, I, you know, younger, no, Lord says younger than she are happy mother's maid. Meaning, I feel like Lady Capulet's a young mom. I feel like she got knocked up 13, 14, 15, whenever, hey, as soon as she, her loins could spurt forth. Those loins. Mm-hmm. Those fatal loins. Once those started squirting out kids, he, that started making her do it. Yeah, because so, let's not forget, Juliet's 14 in this play. She is a child. Yeah. And Romeo is maybe 16, 15. Yeah. He's barely older. Mm-hmm. Um... So I, I'm interested. No, I'm interested in Lady Capulet. She clearly doesn't really. I think she doesn't really like her daughter. She pawns her off on the nurse over and over and over. Can't talk to her. Has this husband who you know is pretty chill, and then when he starts yelling, he starts yelling. Uh huh. And I'm interested in her. What's her life? How does she react? One of the biggest things, which intersects with your thing about Tibble, is what are their lives? Because after Tibble dies, she comes in crying her face yeah, off. Yeah, the. Tybalt's death seems like a huge deal to the Capulet family. Mm-hmm. I mean, for be, for him being a cousin. So you're right. There is definitely something underlying there. Well, more t- more to do with loins. Well, t- oh, well, more the, that, that Capulet loin talk. There's a choice there. I think I feel like I've seen a production or something where there is some something implied, a little sexy between Lady Cap and Tybalt. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Oh, I uh, wasn't even trying to say that. I just no, wanted to say loins again. There's, but that's, again, one of the things you can choose. Like, is she more Tybalt's age? Are they Ooh, having an affair? Um, are they not? Like, it's... Yeah. You can do anything with this material, and I think that's pretty cool, as long as you justify it in the text. Yep. Um, but then, I also like Benvolio. And here's why. Oh. Because Benvolio, I feel like, usually is a bit of a puss-puss. He just dance like, guys, don't fight. Uh. Yeah. He's an easy character to write off, mm-hmm. like, if he wasn't played astutely. Well, because he's in that Horatio band, like, of yeah. the best friend sidekick. Like, yeah, go do your thing. But, um, uh, so, in the thing where all theater kids have too much Romeo and Juliet in their life, I graduated college, immediately started a theater company with my friends, and the first thing we directed was fucking Romeo and Juliet. Really? Really. (laughs) And most of the things we did were trash. But I liked Mercutio, or no, Benvolio, who was my boyfriend at the time. Oh. Oh. Uh, Let's give him a call. Hey, Mike. (laughs) Why are you yelling and swearing? Um, 
I'm a terrible human being. Uh, but anyway, my boyfriend at the podcast. time. <laughs> that's another podcast. Um, he played Benvolio, and something we kind of talked about and maybe explored was the idea of Benvolio's not a giant puss puss. He just doesn't want to fight. Because you look at some of the things Mercutio says to him. Like, mm-hmm. you're the one who's most likely to say don't fight and then start fighting. So the idea we played with is that uh, maybe Benvolio's a little older. Maybe he did go fight in war and is good. And so he's the one who truly understands what this, this, this petulant street fighting can do. That if I pull a knife on somebody, it's not um, boy, boyful bravado. It's dangerous and somebody's going to get killed. So yes. he's the one who's mama bearing a little bit. Like, don't, don't, don't fight. And then when push comes to shove, he steps back because he doesn't want to be involved in the violence. Especially when you're living in a world where everything escalates so quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if he's just a titch older, he understands that and is trying to keep Romeo and Mercutio out of the fray. But that's one choice. Like, there's other choices for him. There's, I've seen female Benvolios who are a little bit in love with Romeo. Um, you have any choice. It's really I cool. like that. Mm-hmm. I like that take. So I wouldn't say favorite, but I would say interested in that character. Yeah. And he's not one that gets that kind of shout-out very often. Mm-mm. But what I think about him, and this is segueing to the portion I call stupid stuff, is Benvolio <laughs> lies when, uh, in the speech when he comes back and says what happens in the fight. Oh, or, right. So yes, he does. Or, or, or if you're the fight director, you choreograph it to match Benvolio's description, or you choreograph it to match what Shakespeare said. But there's still something there. Benvolio is either telling the truth or lying depends on what the fight did. Oh. And I think that's interesting slash maybe stupid. Um, I might need to re-examine Benvolio again because you're giving me a lot to think about. Well, he's easy to skip because his long speech of this is what happened in the fight is just recapping (laughs) what we just fucking saw. Shakespeare either likes to tell you what you're about to see or go back and tell you what you just saw. Or there's like the best thing just (laughs) happened off stage and he's going to come in and be like, guess who got eaten by a bear? And you're like, oh, I wanted to see that. It was Jean Valjean. It was Jean Valjean. He got eaten by a bear. Um, I also... the. Let's talk about Paris for a hot second. Oh, or in or in the Baz Luhrmann version, Dave Paris, Dave, played by Paul Rudd. Paris, um, Paris's death sometimes gets cut. Really? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Dave Paris and oh, Paris. Uh, his death at the tomb. What do you think? You know, I feel for him in a way. He just was trying to get him a wife. Yep, and he was told he was gonna have and, and he's a good he's a decent guy mm-hmm. Paris isn't one of those that you're like is like the kind of evil figure who's oh, my daughter must marry you and is kind of a gross human that no, you like like Paris is a decent dude mm-hmm. like His, Shakespeare will set up like Taming of the Shrew Bianca's gotta marry the old one or the right, douchebag right but Paris is actually like hey I just wanna marry your daughter yeah and then when she dies he's like I'm gonna bring her flowers cause I loved her yeah. And defend her dead honor. And, and then, then and then now I'm dead. Because Romeo Montague is a stupid piece of shit. Romeo Montague flies off the handle. Romeo he Montague does not think things through. Is so problematic. Let's even talk real quick about how he got into these circumstances. This made me mad this time too. Yeah, great. And sorry, Dave Paris, may he rest in peace. Dave Paris, you didn't deserve <laughs> to get killed. You really didn't. You deserved better than this. You deserve to be in a NASA party with an astronaut suit for the rest of your life. <laughs> Paul Rudd is so adorable. It was unfair. With his little goofy grin. With his goofy grin. And he just was so happy dancing at that party with Claire Danes. <laughs> just so happy. Oh. 
Sorry, I got sidetracked by Paul. Oh, Rudd. and I guess his is cut. Yeah, because he doesn't. They he doesn't die in the Basler mm-hmm. movie. They mm-hmm. cut it in that. That's true. I didn't think about that. That's nice. So here's Romeo's first problem. Is you kind of forget, or at least I did. Well, not really. The fact that he shows up at this party to find Rosaline, mm-hmm. who he's been pining over since the play fucking started, mm-hmm. and then just instantly forgets about because he looks at Juliet. Mm-hmm. First problem. Problem one, uh, he's fickle as fuck. <laughs> so we're starting there. That's where we start with good old Romeo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we meet him and he's whining. Yeah. His friends are fighting. We just had a little fight, and he's like, man, what happened here? I'm seriously a lover. Why'd you guys fight? I want Rosaline. Um, and then he, com- he proceeds to whine about Rosaline for ages. That's pretty much what we do is meet a whiner. And in the Orlando Bloom version, he comes roaring in on a motorcycle to whine about Rosaline. <laughs> he takes off his fucking motorcycle helmet and tosses his beautiful locks and then proceeds to whine. Well, I have to say, maybe this is a good moment to tell this story. Um, since we're on the subject, I, I feel like I had a very, uh, sexual awakening with the introduction of Leonardo DiCaprio. Really? So, okay. So yes. the, the Baz Luhrmann movie came out freshman year, my freshman year of high school. <laughs> and that first time that you see him and it's like in slow-mo and he's sitting on the beach and he's all sad and the sun, it's like the sunset. And uh, Radiohead is playing and he's smoking a cigarette. <laughs> it's like little, like, 14, 15-year-old Lauren just, that was a moment. I think I became a woman is in that, that moment. Also, does that, is that why you're so fucking into Radiohead? Maybe. Because you also really like Radiohead. I also really like Radiohead. It all, it's all coming, all coming back to me. Well, the costume, um, the costume but yeah. in that, with him in, like, with, like, his floppy night yes! and the night outfit, like, his costume for that ball was Right on the on. money. So I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it with him. Yeah, but. He's a, he's a tool, but I get it. He's a tool, but when you put a DiCaprio face on him, it's better. Right. Um, right. But yeah, Romeo Montague is a worthless <laughs> piece of shit, so. Uh, yeah, so back to the play, though. He sucks. Yeah. Um, and does he even. I think it would be kind of hilarious if there was a moment where she, if Rosaline was at the party. Some productions put her and there. And she's just like, wait, but, oh, okay, never, never mind, bye. I feel like that's, that's an alternate story, is like her getting ready for the party. Like, this is the <laughs> night when I finally stop playing hard to get and tell Romeo I love him. Yeah. And then he's just like beelining it to She's Julia. like, oh, he's, oh, he's kissing <laughs> that chick's hand. I'm writing that down. Rosaline, a tragedy. <laughs> Hey, thanks. But then she, like, gets her groove back. We're like, hey, girl. Rosalind gets her groove back. <laughs> she and Benvolio hook up. Yeah. Yeah. Or she's this Rosalind and goes to As You Like It. That's true. The end. Upgrade. Um, I want to talk for a second about uh, Tybalt's and the hats they are forced to wear. Every single time I've seen this in a period production, the poor bastards playing Tybalt have the dipshittiest hats. Why is that? Why is that? Why do you put your villain, like, Tibble comes in, he, people are legit scared of him, and then you put him in, like, some ridiculous period hat. I have a photo of Alan Rickman I'm going to tweet. <laughs> that is yes. the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Although Alan Rickman playing Tibble, that's, yeah. He was ridiculously hot. Um, I'm into know. that. Maybe they're thinking, because he's the Prince of Cats, and then they see Puss in Boots. 
<laughs> we shouldn't put him get in musketeers. <laughs> and they decide to put him in that type of hat. I am prince of cats. <laughs> of cats. <laughs> Shit, now I gotta go back on that tour and play t- and play Tibble <laughs> like Puss in Boots. Yes. yes. <laughs> Thank you. This is all I ever wanted. Oh my god. Jesus. But yeah, they, they put the Tibbles in the derpiest hats. That's hysterical. Like, he's supposed to be threatening and he's got right. this little like square <laughs> pillbox on his head. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm Tibble. I'm really mad at you. I'm gonna kill you right now. Yeah. Um d- uh, Mercutio, thou consortest with Romeo. Um, I've seen that played as in uh, t- Mercutio, you and Romeo are fucking. Oh. Yeah, calling right. out the homoeroticism of that relationship. Hey, well, Romeo's all over the place. Mm-hmm. It's possible. He gets right. drunk with his friends. and. Hey, well, Mercutio's pretty freewheeling. I feel like maybe Romeo's too, too stupid to uh, sense the sexual tension, but I think... Depending on your Mercutio's take, there's some like definitely bromance brewing there. And what is that Queen Mab speech all about? Is it just a bunch of rambling, or what is he? I mean, every time I read it, I'm more and more confused. And then it ends with you know, oh Mercutio, you're just saying words. But is it supposed to be significant? I think it depends on how the Mercutio interprets it. I mean, is it a mark of insanity as he's reeling through all of these? Is it? A PTSD thing that Ooh, he eventually, because yeah. he starts um, talking about hoofbeats and uh, blades across throats, and I'm flipping through this. Listen to our pages. Um, so I think that depends on your Mercutio. I think you have really deep text to dive into, and is is it just imagery for no reason? I cannot imagine that it's imagery for no reason. No. Neither uh, can I, which is why I'm trying to figure out. So I think, yeah, the Queen Mab can have so many interpretations, and it just depends on what your Mercutio is doing. Right. And I think that's really cool. All right, so we've been talking about the boys, the teenage boys a lot, but uh, let's go back to the party and the adults, because your summary talked about the adults a lot. So in this read-through, it hit me all of a sudden that the adults in this play really... They do. They really aid in a bed. Everything that Romeo and Juliet, they know it's wrong. And it starts right at the top at the party. Cap, uh, Tybalt comes up to Capulet and is like, hey, Romeo's here at this party. Should I get rid of him? Mm-hmm. Which you would think would be an immediate, yes, get him out. And instead Capulet's like, nah, I don't want to look like I'm being mean. Don't, it's cool. Right. Really? He can stay? The, the son of your sworn enemy? That you've been going on and on and on about? Just picked a fight in the street with your men this morning? <laughs> you're like, no, he can it's stay. Cool. I get that you're probably get hammered, Capulet. Mm-hmm. But seriously. So that's that happens. And then Friar Lawrence is a mess. Okay, wait. So hold on. Let's stick. Friar Lawrence and the nurse are in the same class of yes. people. Like, they are... Trusted confidant to mm-hmm. the teenagers. Mm-hmm. So I'm putting a lot of blame right on those yeah. two. Because you have the parents. Capulet is uh, moody. Lady Capulet, too young to be a mother. They're not super involved. They're not involved. Yeah. Other than, you know, selling their daughter to Paris. They're fine, whatever. They gave her to a nurse. <laughs> That's their amount of parenting. Then you have Lord Montague and Lady Montague who have, like, two lines and then disappear for the length of the play. Who are the type of parents who are like, hey, we're going to Cabo over the weekend, so we left you some groceries in the fridge. Just take care of yourselves. You guys are fine. Literally, the first thing Lady Montague says is, where's Romeo? Have you seen my kid? 
Hey, other teenager, have you seen the child that I'm supposed to be raising? You haven't? We heard he was really upset. What's going on? Okay, go talk to him, make him feel better. I'm going to go get a margarita. Yeah, they are terrible. So the Montagues just roam wild in town. So the parents of both factions suck. True. And then the Montagues have entrusted their son to uh, Friar Lawrence, or Romeo has made him a father figure. Yeah. And then Juliet has her nurse, who definitely was assigned by the parents to take care of her. And both of those people put the wants and whims of teenagers ahead of the best interests of everyone. Trying to be their friends or something. Mm -hmm. I'm the cool mom. Look at me. I'm cool, Friar Lawrence. Sure. I'll marry you guys. Come on over. Yeah, so two teenagers, age, what, 14 and 16? Haven't known each other for 24 hours, Mm -hmm. even. Are like, hey, we want to get married. And Friar Lawrence goes, oh, this could really heal the rift between your family (laughs) if I marry you in secret behind everybody's back. (coughs) That'll solve all our problems, a secret marriage. Yes, especially when the conversation started with Friar Lawrence being like, oh, man, are you still really upset about Rosalind? Rosalind? Romeo's like, no, 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 no. no. forgot about her. Uh, I met this other chick. Let's get married. (laughs) And he's like, cool, come over here at this time. I'll totally marry you guys. Solid plan. Let's go to Vegas right fucking now. (laughs) And then the nurse, fucking nursey pants. Oh, wait, really quick. Yeah. I got, while we're on the topic of the wedding, um, quick shout out to uh, Westworld. Because the the violent these violent deeds have violent ends. I forgot that that line is in this play, mm-hmm. and then I was like, "Oh, that's in this." Uh, did you hear? Sorry, they're, no, they're building TV a, sidetrack. Uh, a replica Sweetwater at South by Southwest, I think. Yes, I might have to go to Texas. You might have to go to Texas. Ruh-roh. When is it? And can I go to Texas too? Let's go. We're going. Um. Anyways, back to the nurse. But so. Sp- Westworld nerds. Westworld nerds. There's a fun little Easter egg for you. That's awesome. But yeah, the nurse is a paid caregiver. She's basically a nanny. Um, Basically you. So if one of your boys came up to you and was like, hey, Lauren, I'm going to go get married. Can you get me a ladder to escape from the house? Is that chill? Andrew is actually 14 right now. So that would be him coming to me like, so I know this girl in class. She just transferred here yesterday. (laughs) But we have a connection, and I would like her. I would like to bind my soul to hers. Can you drop me off? Sure, Andrew. It's cool. I'm gonna distract your parents. I'm gonna take them out to dinner, <laughs> and um, you guys go get married, and take a picture. I want to send me a Snapchat. <laughs> and here's a rope ladder that I made myself. I'm sure it's super safe because the fucking nurse brings a rope ladder with her, and she's like, "And Romeo can climb up this." <laughs> I made this. Happy wedding day. Happy wedding. I made you a fucking virginity loss ladder. But you're right in that these are people who are supposed to be their biggest caretakers. Mm -hmm. And instead, they're doing the opposite of what they're giving them the opposite advice that they should be giving. This is their moment when they can be like, hey, I know you're going to hate me, but you're going to really regret this decision. So how about you two don't marry each other? Or, or, Or wait a day. How about we wait a day? Just 24-hour waiting period. Um, there should be a mandatory 24-hour waiting period before teenage teenagers marrieds. can get married. Yes. Teenage marrieds? Teenage, teenage weddings. Thank you very much. Um, but, yeah, granted, you know, the timeline is sped up. Romeo is banished. Of course. And they got to get this done. But He's all he, banished and shit. But he's banished. He's not dead. It's like... Wait a couple weeks, Juliet, and then invent a good reason to go to Padua or wherever the hell he is. And maybe think on why he's banished mm-hmm. in that 
he murdered your cousin. Who you loved a lot. And then the nurse is still going to, like, let him in so you guys can bang. Even mm-hmm. though he just killed your cousin. Right. And, I mean, uh, come on, nurse. Like, the nurse enters that scene. Oh, Tybalt, Tybalt, Tybalt. And is so sad. We are undone, lady. We are undone. Like, everything's terrible. She's so sad about Tybalt. So mad at Romeo. And then flips from a speech by Juliet. And then turns on, let's get it on, and leaves the room. Mm-hmm. And, and then just like, lets Romeo in. Just lets Romeo in. And Juliet's like, I'm upset about my cousin. Eh, not anymore. Not anymore. I got a husband now. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. It's so... <sighs> I'm so mad. I'm so mad at this play. They would have all been alive had they just calmed the fuck down. Right. Like, oh, and this is my, this is my big question to you. Mm-hmm. My big question is, okay, so they don't die circumstances are different. They don't die. They still get married. How long do you think this actually lasts? <laughs> oh, until Romeo sees another girl? Right. Like, walks down the street. He, he's probably walking, she's probably walking down the aisle. Juliet's <laughs> heading towards him. <laughs> and he looks to his left and sees, like, I don't know, Katerina or some shit. And he's the like, milkmaid or something. Right? <laughs> Romeo is oh, going hi. to have all of the affairs. Just all of them. He probably finds Rosaline again and just cheats on Juliet with her. Mm-hmm. Finds her on Facebook. Hey, what's up? Starts messenger late at night. <laughs> no, no, I'm just up. I wonder if you wanted to talk a little bit. My wife's just... always tired because she's been class and babies. I got her knocked up real early. <laughs> she's been popping baby after baby out and has no time for me anymore. God. Ugh. Uh, but, okay, so if you were like, if they lived and stuff, which brings us to Romeo and Juliet adaptations where half the couple survives. I'm thinking oh. in particular West Side Story, yes. where Maria lives. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking Titanic, which is Romeo and Juliet on the high seas. Um, and Rose lives. And, the, and again, the woman lives. Mm-hmm. The guy always gets it. Yeah. Romeo's always dead. That's because everyone knows how much he sucks. We've already determined he's an mm-hmm. idiot, so that's why he always dies. Um, but yeah, those are our, those are our two Biggest R&J adaptations. I feel like West Side Story is pretty famous. Oh, yeah. Uh, I feel like West Side Story, in some ways, is how people got to know what Romeo and Juliet is. Mm-hmm. Like, if you didn't already know what Romeo and Juliet is, which it's hard to avoid, I think West Side Story, in the time period that it came out, really re-upped everybody's knowledge of Romeo and Juliet. Oh, well, and they do such a good job of drawing parallels. Like mm-hmm. the, what's his name, Doc? This like the soda shop owner guy? Yeah. What's his name right? Who's, yeah, I think it is just Doc. I mean, he's Friar. Friar. Yeah. And Nita is clearly the nurse. They just like sexied her up. And, but then the stuff, like we don't even talk about the near rape of Anita in the side, West Side Story goes hand in hand with the assault. Like Mercutio gets, and uh, those guys get like up in the nurse's business. I mean, they're harassing her, they're groping her, they're throwing her around. They're being absolute shitheads to her, which is in, you know, West Side Story. It pisses Anita off enough to go back and go, he's dead. Tony is dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Romeo and Juliet, the nurse is just like, okay, <laughs> you can marry him. This is the most complacent nurse of all time. Mm-hmm. What's her backstory? Right? I mean, she's not a registered nurse. <laughs> I'm just saying. I have questions about her qualifications as a medical professional. Mm -hmm. I feel like she lied on her resume a little bit. There's no anybody's. There's no anybody's. There's no scrappy girl in Romeo and Juliet, Mm -mm. which is a bummer. Which is a bummer. But you have Samson and Gregory and Abraham and Balthazar. There's plenty of scrappy boys. Mm -hmm. That's true. Each one dumber than the next. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, there's no shortage of uh, interpretations, though, of Romeo and Juliet. That's for sure. I mean, there's no Romeo and Juliet? Uh, underworld? There's like Kate Beckinsale, Romeo and Juliet, but with oh, werewolves right. and vampires? Yep. Several actual Romeo and Juliet movie adaptations. We've already talked about some of those. And I think that everybody has to read it because it's required reading. I feel like everybody's been... Have you been in a full production of Romeo and Juliet? Not a full one. We did do... We did an abridged version in high school um, where I was Lady Capulet, yeah. ironically enough. We did, like... Uh, we did Julius Caesar, and then we did um, Romeo and Juliet in my drama class. And uh, Romeo... Ju- Julius Caesar was better because I got to play Cassius. Yeah, lean and hungry look. It was awesome. That looks good. Yeah, that was badass. See, I think that's when I find Shakespeare more fun, is getting to play the dude parts. Mm-hmm. Well, the, um, what I think is cool about this play is it, it almost hands off. Like, the first half is Romeo's, with a little bit of Juliet sprinkled in. And then once the murder happens, and he is Fortune's fool, she takes over as the protagonist. Like, he drives the action, and then his dipshittery gets a couple people killed, and then she sort of takes charge. Like, she starts driving. She's like, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to the fryer. I'm going to take the poison. I'm going to tell my parents no. Because he's separated. And that's when I think she gets cool, is when she gets a spine. Yeah. Because Juliet stands up for herself. She goes, I love this boy, so I'm going to do anything to be with him. Let's, it's on. And she starts to make her own destiny, whereas Romeo is just like, eh, yeah, flailing and screaming and whining. Well, I have to say, you can read it even in their early scenes, even in like the balcony mm-hmm. scene. It is a very flowery, romantic, you know, iconic scene that way. But when you really read, she's she's still questioning and she's still having her moments of like, is this what we really should do? Is this right? I need to know mm-hmm. that you're true. I need to know that. Yeah. I mean, and he's just like, I'll marry you now and whatever. And you know, not mm-hmm. even not thinking this through. No, anything. He's like, uh, oh, by yonder blessed moon, I swear. Oh, swear not by the moon. She's right. like, hey, you're you're doing you're swearing on something inconstant. Knock it off. Yeah, like stop the flowery shit and be real with me. If this is what you really want, then we'll go for mm-hmm. it. But so uh, she she shows a little bit. I I have to give her that of having a little bit of mm-hmm. thought. Clearly not enough, but a little bit. Yeah, well, no, she asks, she's like, "Are you? do you love me? Are you going to be constant? And he's like, oh, definitely. And she's like, oh, questions answered, without really thinking that he's kind of telling her what he she, she wants to hear. Right. I mean, he is playing every card, I think, to get laid. Oh, 100%. <laughs> and she's like, oh, well, he said he loved me, so. Cool. Well, let's get married, and then we can have sex. Oh. You um, had sex, you murdered my cousin. Damn it. Ooh, but I made this promise. But when she wants, she's in the driver's seat, like, she's. She's making shit happen. Like, she's not content to whine and flail and freak out. She's like, all right, let's do this. Let's no, go. that's true. But it's, it's true. just bad communication. If only she had... Why couldn't she have sent some sort of message that she was going to drink this, I'm going to look dead, but I'm not really dead poison. So instead, Friar Lawrence is like, I'm going to give it to this other character we've never heard right. of up until this point. How, how was the most important part of that not get this to Romeo? Mm-hmm. Like, I worded that wrong, but you know what I'm saying. Like, how how did they not make clear? <laughs> no matter what happens, I don't care if you get attacked by fucking tigers. You take this letter and you get it to you Romeo. You make sure Romeo knows that th- the this car- is the plan. <laughs> I oh, you had one fucking job to do. One job, John, and you didn't fucking do it. You're fired. I love in the Baz Luhrmann version when he's driving the little like post-haste van that's the FedEx van across the desert. Yes. And he's Romeo's not there. Like, I, 
I thought that. <laughs> and he's like, all right, well, whatever. Back to Man- or back to Verona. Oh, I said Padua earlier, and I meant Mantua. Sorry. Oh my God. Oh, the worst. Stop the podcast. We quit. Freeze it. But the Baz Luhrmann version. For- I love it. Well, that's one of those great Shakespeare adaptations that takes liberty, but is justified by the text. Yes. You know, when their guns are called, give me my longsword, and his rifle is called a longsword, that's cool. I love the the uh, whole first battle at that gas station. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, yeah, the first zoom in on the side of Tybalt's gun, and it says sword. It's like nine millimeter sword. Um and, and it's it is it's kind of a it's kind of an over dramatized version. It's def, I mean it's very Baz Luhrmann. Everything's very big and kind of over the, a little bit over the top. But I think it ultimately is still a really great setting. I'm, I'm, I imagine that Romeo and Juliet's been done in pretty much every type of setting you could think of at this point. Oh God, everything Wild West on the fucking moon. It's been everywhere. Yeah, um, I'd be surprised if there was something that hasn't been done yet. One well, isn't there even there's the um what's that play called it's just called R&J that's about the all boys school mm-hmm. that's doing a production of Romeo and Juliet that's really it's cool that's, yeah, a, that's cool. a cool play um but there's some, I don't know that there's been there's been like a gay interpretation of mm-hmm. it I don't know that there's been a lesbian interpretation I'm of sure it I'm sure that but I'm sure somebody somewhere has done a production an all female production oh. of Romeo and Juliet which would be which would be fun. I think that'd be really cool um, to see how that youthful energy is transformed if you have all ladies across the board. Yeah, um, you know, as much as I do want to shit on this play because I enjoy nothing more than taking craps. <laughs> We're all having over fun it. here, but you know, like I said, I we took this to high schools for two and a half years, and the tour's still running without me. Um, but there's a reason it's this play. Yeah. And what I found important about the tour of this is that Shakespeare should be seen, I think, not read. Yes. And seeing it performed by professionals helps students understand it. Because I think giving kids this on the page is difficult. It's hard to read. It's not old English, but, you know, it's older, so we still have these and thous, which it's modern English just with different kind of pronouns and much more poetry, which is impossible to your freshmen. But if you are seeing actors perform it and you've got like a young, cute actor playing Romeo and that's going to get attention. If you have sword fights, that's going to get attention as well. That's enough to make students go, oh, that's an interesting story that I saw that pertains to me. And then discussing it with high schoolers is awesome because they understand. Most high schoolers go, those idiots weren't in love and they made terrible choices. <laughs> that's they- wonderful. Because teenagers Good. are smart. Like, yes. We're looking around in the world right now and teenagers are doing some amazing stuff. Yes. And I think it's worth it to have them look at this and go, yeah, that behavior's stupid. Or that's behavior I would do. Or learn a fucking lesson from it. Exactly. Well, that's what I was saying earlier is I feel like maybe maybe that's why this interpretation came out to me so strongly this time around of how much the adults are to blame in this situation is because we're, we're watching a real-time political movement in our country where that teenagers are leading the way of because the adults in Romeo and Juliet did not do their damn jobs and did not take care of the children Mm -hmm. and we're not taking care of children the children are having to take care of themselves right now Mm -hmm. and that's it's shocking when you're an adult and you go oh I didn't I didn't necessarily do my job right and granted you know the children in this are the ones who are saying they're in love with each other and want to get married but they had adults around them who could have prevented or you know, 
kind of diverted that situation mm-hmm. and instead they do the opposite or nothing. Mm-hmm. So it just shows what an action can do. Well, also the adults in this do what they think is best for the kids. Like Capulet right. comes blaring in and is like, <laughs> it's best for you to marry Paris. So he is doing what he thinks is best for his daughter. True. Lady Cap, I think the same. Montagues are like present. But, um. Off at their weekend house. But, kid, but kids change. Do you think adults can really understand teenagers? I think the only way to do that is to really put yourself back in that time when you were one. And I don't think enough adults, I think adults get to a point where they aren't willing to ad, to admit that they were that way once or that they ever behaved that way. Or mm-hmm. I think we block ourselves off to a lot of teenage behavior because we refuse to admit that we were there once too. And... That's something that I've been noticing a lot lately about myself is I think I've been very judgmental mm. <laughs> of a lot of, of teenagers and kids, frankly. And and when I step outside of that and I go, okay, I was, I was that age and I had these thoughts and I had these beliefs and I had this type of mm-hmm. energy. Um, I think if adults take a little more time to think of it from that perspective, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if in this day and age – adults really can understand teenagers because of technology. Because it's very separate. That's true. Because what they go through on like a daily basis as far as the Snapchats and what's posted about them online and how quickly they can access information, we didn't have that. No, like, we're catching up to that still. Mm-hmm. Like we, we've had that for a large part of our Most lives, of but our we adulthood. haven't grown up with that. Yeah. Yeah, just to be like, if I'm a teenager, it's in high school, it was like, hey, let's pass a note. We didn't have cell phones. It was like, write a note, fold it in the shape of a heart, and pass it to your friend in the passing period and get a note back. But like now it's like text message, boom, 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 there's a photo and sent. Like within 13 seconds. Right. Something that would have taken me hours to accomplish. (laughs) Yeah. And I do feel like, too, in Romeo and Juliet, the attitude isn't so much like, the kids being, you know, you don't understand us, old man. It's mm-hmm. more of it. It just really is the Capulet Montague separation. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. And everyone is so self-absorbed. And yeah, and and then what's messed up about that though is, like we said at the very beginning, you don't even know if they know why they're still having this feud between them. We never really see where that even originated. They're just yelling. Yeah, they are. All the yelling ruins everything. That's the moral of the story. Which brings me... I I don't know if I have a favorite Romeo and Juliet line. There's so many in there that are famous and are quoted. And I think are sometimes quoted like a little too saccharinely. Um, But I personally love to hate, oh, I am fortune's fool. It's... Oh, it's a good... It's good and bad and good. What do you do with that line if you're playing Romeo? Like... Your only choice is to scream it as, like, devastatedly as you can. But, God, that gets melodramatic. I would love just want someone to... Oh. oh. I am Fortune's fool. Oh. oh. Um, That's it. Uh, segwaying into <laughs> the most, I think, delightful of topics are the fights. You mentioned it earlier. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. Everyone I know that has a memory of Romeo and Juliet is usually a memory of the violence. Mm. Like somebody who's seen it, somebody who's been in it, um, somebody who's directed it. It seems like people are like, yeah, whatever, romance, that's great. They had smoochy smoochies on the balcony. But let's talk about how things went horribly awry in fights. Yes. Um, I know personally, as you mentioned, I played Tybalt, the tiniest Tybalt to ever Tybalt. 
And I stabbed <laughs> myself in the leg at least twice. Oh my god! Um, if you look at my show pants, there's like a there's a couple holes in the right thigh because I would just accidentally stab myself. <gasps> and then once, um, in the fight scene with Romeo, who's our friend John Hauser, I um, I would I did I died on my back, but I I was in the bed of a truck and my knee is always up, my right knee. So once. John positioned himself as he stabbed me to come down and just smash his own balls on my knee. <laughs> so I see him like coming at me and he stabs me with his like hunting knife or whatever he has. I've got a switchblade. And then I see, I just feel something very soft squish on oh, my knee. Lovely. And I see his face just go beat red and his eyes go wide. And I had a moment just to whisper, I'm sorry. Before oh. I fell over and died because I was like, I just destroyed my friend's nuts. Like, they, they are messed up. They are messed up. John Hauser, if you're listening to this, please let us know if you've ever recovered from that injury. Yeah, I'm so really sorry about your balls, my friend. Um, we also received a really great story from a friend of ours. Um, yeah, do you want to read it? Should we just go for it? Yeah. yeah. It. And we can uh, use his first and last name because he... Because he said we get... This is from our dear friend Benjamin Bonenfant, who um, you may have seen play Romeo with his his now betrothed, Jamie Ann Romero. She played Juliet in so a production at Colorado Shakespeare Festival Wait, several think, years ago. I don't think you can say betrothed, though. No, betrothed is a terrible... That was a bad word. That's like they're getting married. No, they're actually just together. They're just dating. They're dating. Jamie Look, ben- I don't presume to know what their relationship is, but they're together now. You guys, we hope um, we hope you appreciate that we just got you engaged. You're welcome. You're welcome. Okay, read the letter. This means you're married now. If it's on a podcast, it's official. So, this is from Ben. There was palpable excitement in the room as we were nearing the end of our designer run at the Colorado Shakespeare Festival. Only a handful of people were there, but it was our first time playing for an audience. The jokes were landing, and the romance felt real. Unfortunately, so did some of the stabbing. In the tomb scene, I tried to lay motionless while still out of breath from overacting my super authentic death by poison. (laughs) Jamie Ann, our Juliet, and the embodiment of grace, had everyone in the palm of her hand as she knelt beside me, preparing to end it all. Oh, happy dagger, this is thy sheath. Stab. The sound she made was so heartbreaking and convincing, I almost smiled when she collapsed onto my chest and breathed her last. That was great, I whispered. I think I stabbed myself. Wait, for real? Yeah. Should we stop? Oh, no, it's okay. Are you sure? Yeah, we're almost done. We waited through the end of the final speech to see if she was bleeding. (laughs) It wasn't a lot, and she was totally okay, but the dagger definitely broke skin. Normally, she'd lay it flat against her forearm while making it look like it went straight for the heart. This time, she split the difference and hit her ribcage. We ended up getting together years later, and she still has the scar. Weirdly, I'm glad she has it. I mean, I prefer she not stab herself, but it's funny and morbidly romantic, just like that play. Um, they're the cutest couple. I love them. This is adorable, and that's why I made you betrothed, because let's face it. <laughs> um, awesome. Thanks, Ben. Uh, Jamie, if you can send us any photos of your scar, we'd appreciate it. But I saw Jamie Ann Romero this summer um, play Viola de Lessup in Shakespeare in Love at yes. the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. And I want to venture and say Shakespeare in Love is the best adaptation of Romeo and Juliet. There we go. We have not, this was a perfect segue to talk about it because mm-hmm. we ha- I can't believe we haven't talked about that yet. Because it is such a fucking great movie. It really is. It's so good. Ben Affleck is perfect. 
He's I, such a tool. He's the perfect tool. Such a tool. <laughs> As Ned Allen or Ned Elaine, depending on which production you're in and how you want to pronounce it. But that is the most Affleck-y Affleck that has ever Afflecked. And I want him always Affleck. To be like, Affleck. <laughs> what is the play and what is my part? <laughs> and you know who that kind of reminds me of? Is also when we saw um, something rotten. And Shakespeare. Oh, yeah. He totally was Adam Pascal. Like like he is a, it's a very Adam Pascal swagger. Now we're just talking about <laughs> famous people who are hot. Who we Shakespeare. like in leather pants. Adam Pascal looked great in those leather pants. It's true. Mm-hmm. Come for the podcast, stay for the leather pants. Oh, we have another um, another <laughs> listener message I want to listen oh, to right now. Oh, this is a good one. It's from our friend Michael Schenenfeld, just talking about his experience in, uh, in a production of Romeo and Juliet and some choices that he made. Hi there, Michael Schenefeld, actor, uh, currently living in New York City. Uh, I had the opportunity to play the titular male role, Romeo. Now, the before the nonsense in the tomb, Romeo encounters Paris, who's coming to grieve Juliet, uh, mourn for Juliet, uh, and Romeo fucking kills him very quickly, uh, just in, in, in a rage. And after this fight, I have about 10 seconds off stage. Uh, so on that 10 seconds after my badass fight with Paris, that 10 seconds off stage, a stage manager runs over to me and, and, and whispers a bunch of information in my ear, uh, the bulk of which is that I lost the vial of poison from my neck uh, accidentally during the Paris fight. It's somewhere stage left. I need to fucking find it. Uh, I go out on stage and I have, let's say, 20 lines to say. So maybe a minute, minute, 15 seconds. But I decide to overact the shit out of this monologue and stumble across upstage, downstage, stage left, stage right. Quite obviously, I'd imagine, looking for this vial of poison. Uh, and then eventually I run out of time. It's, it's arms, take your last embrace. And lips, oh you, the doors of death, seal with a righteous kiss, a dateless bargain to engrossing death. So I'm fucked. I'm done. I never found the poison. It's obvious I never found the poison. And I need to, I need to kill myself. So good news, I've had a murder weapon attached to me for the, for the duration of the play, this dagger. I make the decision to rewrite the bard that evening uh, and kill myself by dagger. Juliet, when she wakes up, her entire final monologue is just almost completely about the poison. And I, and I wonder what was going on in her mind while she's, you know, asleep on stage. And she hears me just going full Julius Caesar, <coughs> fucking stabbing myself. Uh, but she figures it out and silent, silently grieves me. And kills herself with the dagger. Juliet, I'm I'm not angry. I, I'm I feel like I've let people down, and I'm embarrassed. The the actor playing Juliet's fucking furious. Why didn't you mime the poison, you moron? It's those mistakes on stage that end up being these magical moments that you'll remember forever. And perhaps the most honest honest reaction came the next morning from from our uh, director. Uh, she gets the stage manager's notes. Uh, probably the next morning, and, and reads them, and, and, and here's what happens. And she just sends me a very brief three-word text message uh, that read simply, what the 
fuck. And that's it. All right, that was awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for sending that. Thank you, Michael. I just love um, the fact that everybody has done something stupid involving this play. I really think so. The reach, the reach is far and wide with this one. There's just so many opportunities to do uh, ridiculous, stupid stuff. And we'd still love to hear your stories. Just because we're doing the episode now doesn't mean we don't want to hear them. So you can always tweet them at us. So if you want to tweet them at us or uh, send us a quick email, that would be awesome. Um, any other R&J thoughts? I think we've yelled through a lot of them. Oh, I have one more uh, derpy Romeo and Juliet thing <laughs> that I just want to make fun of my husband about because he's played, he has played Romeo, Mercutio twice. Has he ever played Tybalt? I feel like he should have played Tybalt. I was going to say, how has guy. he not? Um, and I recently saw him play Paris. It was like nice. the oldest Paris. I love you, baby. I'm so sorry. I'm calling you the oldest Paris in the world. But you were in your late 30s when you were playing that part. <laughs> um, but he, these times of woe afford no time to woo, he says to Lady Capulet or Lord Capulet after, um, you know, the Tibble murder. And Jeff comes busting on stage. And this is like a period production with the lace ruffs and like pumpkin pants. Just <laughs> looking as Parisy as you can. Just the most Parisy Paris. He looks over and she goes, these times of woo afford no time to woe. <laughs> and he just stops and the woman playing Lady Cabinet gives him a look. And he's just like, oh no, what did I do? And Strike that. Strike that. It. Reverse it. I just said that in front of 700 people. Ah, oh well. Bye-bye. <laughs> Paris out. I'm going to go get killed in a tomb because I deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> did he have to, how, oh no, that's Tybalt. Never but mind. he still had a derpy hat. Like, just because he wasn't too better doesn't mean he didn't have a derpy hat. I would think so. If it's a period well, production, we need all the derpy hats. Well, our main things, you know, we always talk about film and TV adaptations, and all the film adaptations have happened. Yeah, we've gone over a bunch of those. Um, our friend Maggie Tisdale reminded us of an episode of Full House, where uh, Romeo and Juliet rocked DJ Tanner's world. I did not remember this. So there's a Full House episode. I thought there was a Saved by the Bell episode, but where Zach and Jesse kissed, and it was scandalous, but it was... Uh, they were Snow White. Snow White. They wrong. did the school play. <laughs> For man, ninety percent of the time, if somebody's doing a school play in a movie or TV show, it's Romeo and fucking and Juliet. And I'm sorry, but didn't their version of Snow White also involve rapping? For oh, some it reason? did. Oh, that was. Bad. I feel like Screech was a dwarf. Yeah. There was the poison apple. Oh God. Let's not oh, go there. But it was anyway. Romeo and Juliet. Anyway, um, th- then the question of was it ever a play? Well, it was a play to start. Obviously. Obviously. Uh, were there Simpsons references? Oh, there were. Oh, there's our favorite. With featuring our favorite friend, Milhouse. Milhouse. Okay, ready? Yeah. Well, Milhouse, tis better to have loved and lost, yada, yada, yada. Let's go to the arcade. How could this happen? We started out like Romeo and Juliet, but it ended up in tragedy. Millhouse. Everything's coming up Millhouse. <laughs> Except this time. In, in, our, time. in our friendship, do you think, are you the Bart and I'm the Millhouse? Oh my god. No. My pants are so short sometimes, though. <laughs> not at all. I'm so not a Bart, though. I'm so not the mastermind. I think we're both Lisas. I think we are, too. <laughs> Good. The Republican Party doesn't want us. Excellent. Uh, you can be Lisa and I'm more Ralph. We're the party. Of- <laughs> you are not Ralph. <laughs> early in the morning. You're Nelson. Yeah, I am. My Nelson when he cleaned up his act. You're a riddle wrapped in an enigma wrapped in a vest. That's what Jessica Austin is. I love vests. <laughs> so, okay, that was a Simpsons reference. None of us had the Millhouse. But there is 
You guys, if you haven't seen the movie version of Reefer Madness starring Kristen Bell and Nev Campbell's brother. (laughs) And on a guest tire. (laughs) On a guest tire and Alan Cumming. Oh, that movie is so fun. It's so fun. So either watch the movie Reefer Madness or listen to the the original soundtrack that's not Kristen Bell. Um, Both are delightful, but they have a whole song about Romeo and Juliet. And how they think it's going to turn out well. So I just want to play a tiny snippet of that because this song is delightful. Oh, it's so good. So many of the ref. I mean, we just had two with Simpsons and this. So many of the references to Romeo and Juliet are the. This is all going to work out great because they know the irony of that statement. I think that's really funny. Well, everyone thinks it's a love story, but it really is a horrible tragedy yes. of youth gone wild. And I will say the balcony scene is lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, we talked earlier about favorite lines. I do think. Uh, Oh, she doth teach the torches to burn bright is pretty, it's pretty good. That is pretty good, Romeo. That's I'll give you that one. Pretty good, Romeo. I'll give you one. You get one. Fine. Um, but yeah, tragedy. It's a tragedy. Not a good love story. No. I don't know why so many people are like, you be my Romeo and I'll be your Jew. Oh, isn't that a fucking Taylor Swift song? It is. Uh, we're not playing. Me, 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 we're not playing a bit of that. No, we'll delete the thing I just sang. It was embarrassing. But, but <laughs> that whole song is about how it's a love story. Yeah, that's wrong. Say yes. Listen, Tay-Tay. <laughs> Dear Tay-Tay. False advertising. Um, but in the in the vein of all of the things that happen in Romeo and Juliet, my discussion question for you, Lauren, is... In a game of Verona, marry, fuck, kill, who do you marry, who do you fuck, and who do you kill? (laughs) Any character, I don't care. I'm killing Romeo. (laughs) I don't even need to think about that. (laughs) I'm over him. He's gone. Um, (sighs) He sucks so much. (laughs) I'm sorry. Does my mom listen to this? She doesn't. Then I'm going to fuck Tibble. Yeah. Yeah, because we all know what the Prince of Cats is up to. Mm-hmm. And then you know what? I don't call him the I Prince w- of Cats because because uh, he likes pets. <laughs> Ao, oh. Jessica and I are making some obscene gestures. Um, and then based on our discussion today, I've changed my answer. I'm now going to marry Benvolio. <gasps> oh, because I really I think I I think we could have a nice life together, a nice peaceful life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or you go to like Crate and Barrel on the weekends with you. Right, right. Um, and he, you know what? He probably, just to keep the peace, wouldn't even be upset if I still had a thing with Tibble on the side. <laughs> he probably wouldn't. That's nice. No. So that's mine. Oh, okay. okay. I know this was your question for me, but you have, you've got oh, to answer it too. It. Okay, good. I, I, I would kill Romeo. Okay. Yes. Okay. He's dead. Oh, he's the worst. Uh, and then I, I would fuck Mercutio. Oh, okay. Cause maybe just once, because it might be too crazy to be like, I don't know what happened, but I need therapy. Like, I've been gone for twenty six hours. I've been gone for twenty six hours, and my right pinky hurts. <laughs> oh, I see Queen Mab is one with you. Hey, oh. What did you guys do? He showed me his Queen Mab, and <laughs> I blacked out for a day. Um, and I would marry 
Mary Dave Paris. Yeah. <laughs> Aww. You and you and Benvolio and me and Dave Paris. You're gonna have so much fun when we we're gonna when get we a go cheesecake factory on the on the weekends. <laughs> have a houseboat on Lake Powell for our vacation, <laughs> and then we can leave Dave and Ben alone while we go meet up with Mercutio and Tybalt on the side. <laughs> this sounds like a pretty sweet life. I like oh, this. And I, Romeo's long gone. Yeah, long dead. <laughs> and once a year, we're like, didn't Romeo die yesterday? Yeah, it was yeah. a good day. It was good times. Good times. How's Juliet doing with her much better husband? Yeah. Yeah. Who do you think she would end up with in this scenario? Maybe she just gets the hell out of Verona and goes and lives a new life somewhere else. Oh, yeah. If I were Juliet, I'd be like, peace. Bye. Deuces. Yeah. Give me some money. Doesn't bring the nurse with her. Oh, she she and the nurse just go get a place in sunny Mexico and live it up. That'd be nice. And then the nurse just brings Juliet snacks to make up for her poor, poor, poor poor choices earlier. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I think that uh, we've hit all the major points in this play. Well, should we announce what we're up to next so that our friends can read along? Yeah, if you guys want to read along with us in uh, two weeks, maybe-ish. Yeah. Ish. We'll see. Somewhere in early March. Thank you for bearing with us as we get our shit together and make a schedule, in quotations. (laughs) Uh, Schedules are very important, and Lauren and I cannot stick to them. Um, (laughs) But next we're doing The Giver. Yes, which we're very excited about because neither Jess nor I have read that one. No, and apparently everyone else in the whole wide world has. Yeah, I completely avoided it. Maybe Arizona schools didn't have to read The Giver. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. So we are going to be talking about The Giver in about two weeks' time, so maybe early March. Give it a read, brush it up, and if you have any experiences or thoughts, shoot us emails. You can email us on our Facebook page or requiredreadcast at gmail.com. Yes, and you can also find us on Twitter at R-E-Q Readcast. That's R-E-Q Readcast, which is also our handle on Instagram. Um, so go ahead and like us on Facebook. You can uh, listen to us on Podbean or iTunes or wherever you get, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, we answer our Facebook messenger. We answer our email sometimes. And uh, <laughs> and if you've already been awesome and giving us great feedback on the podcast, which some of you have, and we really appreciate it, head on over to iTunes, too, and go ahead and give us a review there. We um, would appreciate that it. That actually helps a lot. Uh, but for now, I guess uh, I guess stay gold there, fucking Montagues. Stay gold there, Capulets. Uh, stay gold, Lauren. Stay gold, Jessica. talk a little bit anyway this play is stupid and i want to punch it i'm gonna punch it in its dumb play face this has been a sex pot comedy joint collaborative community driven comedy produced by andy jewett and Kayvon Kalitvari. headquartered in denver colorado with technical support from isaac miller every day at sexpotcomedy.com or at a show near you until next time be well friends